As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, what's going on, y'all? It is Monday, uh, and this is the Hold That Podcast podcast, your premier LSU football podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I am your host, T-Bob Hebert. Uh, I host a radio show called Off the Bench in uh, Baton Rouge, and I am joined by my co-host, Brody Miller, who writes for The Athletic. Brody, what's up, dude? I don't know. We have a slightly different tone this week. We can actually talk about with LSU football with the obviously shocking win against Florida. It's signing day on Wednesday, which means that's up. They look like they're going to have a good class. So it's a weird one. It's been a negative season on this podcast. So, hey, we have some uh, some good stuff to talk about. Uh, the One of the best parts about sports is that uh, it truly is a meritocracy, right? In that if you want to control what people are saying about you, uh, you have the ability to do that, and it all lies in the result. And what an incredible result this weekend was for LSU going to the Swamp, getting the win, and getting the win in like one of the longest odds ways possible. Um, I, I, Brody, we're going to get into game win or post-game win expectancy a bit later, and you are going to explain it to us the best of your knowledge, uh, because while some people may not realize it, and maybe some people do, but what you witnessed the other night uh, was I- incredible, like like, and, and in the literal sense, like mathematically incredible, very small chance of happening. It was fantastic to watch. It was fun, and as everything is a function of expectations expectations were so low everything felt so broken to pull off that win i mean it was uh it was very very memorable it's something it's something that i'll actually i don't think i'll ever forget it was one of those type of games which is 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 always awesome yeah i mean this was one of the i think you know bama we expected more of a beatdown. yes absolutely you start there but but florida was different because of with the depletion of the roster with the pretty absurd drama. I mean, actually we like timed our podcast last week pretty terribly because 
the world started following right after we we finished recording on Monday. It wasn't our, but I mean, yeah, the drama of last week with Eric Gilbert possibly leaving. Now rumors of way more players leaving. It just like it really was the most the sky ever felt like it was falling around LSU football. And by the way, I don't think that's necessarily going away. But to after all of that, and then Derek Stingley go out, you know, minutes before the game, and Micah Baskerville, you're one of your only reliable defenders out. It was just everything about this was like oh, this might even be worse than Bama because, like, what are they even playing for at this point? Who's on the field? And they actually just showed up in a way that I don't use this word that that lightly just shocked me, like truly shocked me and that they just looked like a different football team at a time when you'd expect them to look at their worst. So it was a uh, a pretty wild Saturday. And it's literally why I love college football is that it's one of the few, you know, sports where you really can feel that. An interesting side conversation uh, that we'll eventually get into, um, and maybe even on another podcast. But stuff like this does prove why this, why it's very interesting what the college football player is going to choose to do with Ohio State, because you never quite know what's going to happen. Like in 99 other realities, LSU played this game and Florida won, but we live in the one where that is uh, <laughs> not the case. I And also, Brody, I, I know that I overuse Star Wars metaphors uh, and stuff no. like that. So I apologize off the bat, but, but, but is there anything more Luke Skywalker than what you saw out of Cade York the other night, the young hotshot ace who used to uh, nail Womp Rats in his T-16 flying at the Death Star. That was his trench run, fog and smoke in the air, can't really see anything. And when he hit that kick, I mean, I swear, I couldn't help it. When he hit that kick, I just felt like Han Solo, like a shot was one in a million, kid. It was just, it was something incredible. Imagine standing with with all that narrative weight that we just talked about, the context of how broken the program felt going into this game, the expectations of it just being a complete belt beat down, and then the the very long odds opportunity to change all of that, and it all lies on your foot on this weird foggy night where you can even barely see the goalpost and you have to sit there. And when you look at your feet to kick, you are standing in the dead middle of the opponent's logo. I mean, your feet, you are at the 50 yard line and you got to make this thing. And he stroked it, dude. And he knew it. He knew it. As soon as he had, he turned the targeting device off. He trusted himself and he <laughs> stroked it. And, and he took off running, even though he could barely see it go through. It was just, it was, uh, a, a, a truly epic kick of 57 yard game winner on the road in the foggy swamp. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Cade York isn't even somebody we're going to discuss at that much length today. So I am br- glad you brought him up because first off, just start with like, it's one of those things that's so obvious, but it's like, you almost have to like really break it down to just appreciate how absurd it is that the longest kick in LSU history was done when he couldn't <laughs> see the end, you know, like that is, that is mind boggling. And that's even without the extra context, like you said, of the narrative of that week and the drama around it. But just like that simple fact is so incredibly mind boggling. And it's a guy that like, I remember, you know, talking to Greg McMahon at length about him the summer before he got on campus last year. And I kept picking his brain about, you know, like how he finds a kicker and all these things. And McMahon was like, listen, I like, you know, I like Cade York because I like his moxie. And he's like, plus he has a big leg. But, but he was like, <laughs> I like his, he delivered it even better than that. He had like a little pause and he smiled and he's like, 
Andy's got a good leg. But uh, <laughs> but no, and he was just like, listen, I look for in kickers. I look for the guy who's like back when he's like back when I was with the Saints. Like, oh my, I'm forgetting the kicker's name. Morton Anderson. The Saints back. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 not him. But uh, but he was like back when I was with the Saints, like the kicker, uh, he was best friends with Drew Brees, and he sat at the same table with Drew Brees, and that tells me something about like how much respect he carries in the locker room, and that's what I look for in a kicker. And he had this whole great thing about it, and it's like that's what he loved about Cade York is that he was one of those guys, and for him, the first time we ever see him really with pressure on at any time in his career after a kind of hiccup-filled freshman year that turned out good, but had its, you know, his bumps in the road, to have him kind of have this moment, be a legend, you know, to probably to the same amount that, you know, probably to Cole Tracy level to some, I'd say so. So yeah. I think uh, it was it's pretty cool, and we can move on from it, but I think the Cade York part does need to be addressed. Uh, well, yeah, because it is the biggest part. It's, you know, one in a million, kid. Uh, it just and, – and, and also, I mean, just to drive home how hard that kick is – you then had a very good deep ball kicker in McPherson come in and barely miss it. I mean, he was not off by much. He was not off by much. But remember, in A New Hope, the first guy to get a proton torpedo shot off also barely missed. Them's the breaks. Uh, shout out, Cage York. Um, all right, Brody, I've, I've talked about this game so much already at this point. Where do you, yeah. where, where you want to start here? I mean, I think hmm. – I think you start with I think the post game win expectancy is a kind of good place to start yeah. but I think I'll 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 start by also just actually no I'm going to start here by saying it kind of I was saying I touched on earlier but I think you start by the fact that as much as we're going to talk about post game win expectancy and all the ways that this win felt you know kind of random in a way and before we even get to the shoe or any of that Credit where it's due, this looked like a different LSU football team. And by the way, me saying this is also an indicate like an indictment on how bad it's been that you now we know like it's there. Like even with your backups, you know, it, it's proof that talent isn't why they're losing games, right? It's proof uh, that point, yeah. that all these all these things that you know, all this terrible season, you can't just be like, Well, we lost all this talent. There were other issues, other failures that let him get here, but it's also, you know, credit where it's due very impressive that after everything that happened this week they came out the secondary looked better than as good as it has all year i'd say the AM game was their best game but as good as it's been all year those corners looked really good and that's without stingley and that's without cordell fly got shout out to a guy like jay ward that went from the most torch guy on this roster to a guy that like you just kind of want on the field. He, he hits guys hard. He makes scrappy plays. You want that guy on the field. Shout out to all. I mean, I don't know. I just think this team came out better. The offensive staff, what they did with Max Johnson was maybe their best coaching job of the season, the offensive staff, and just how they called that game. Credit to Max Johnson. Also, their top four receivers are out. And Kayshawn Butte looked great. Dre, Dre Jenkins looked great. Coy Moore looked good. I just think uh, – I think my, my main thing I want to start with was just like, even before we get to the absurdness, is LSU just showed up. Yeah, um, you used the word <laughs> moxie, right? And there was a lot of that there. There's also um, a, an interesting idea that got brought up in pre pregame a couple of times that I guess I hadn't really considered before, which is like, out of the guys who are left and who's ever playing, um, especially if they don't play normally, they're going to be super hyped to play. And, like, you yeah. saw that out of, like, Dwight McLaughlin, who, yeah, he got beat a lot, but he made a lot of plays as well. Um, you, you you saw that all over the field. You saw that out of Cole Taylor. Like, he is he is thin. He's, he's getting kind of pushed around, but he's, like, putting his head in there. And, and, and he's hyped up to play. And so everybody that's still there, it's like that Chris Curry tweet 
from the other day. And he backed up that tweet talking about we're going to see, you know, yeah. we're, we're going to write this ship. We're going to see who really wants to be here, whatever. And Curry, and, and really, it's it's almost um, it's very interesting to look back at that answer now that Ogeron gave on my show last week, where he, where he was saying, "Look, uh, we're going to find out who's with us, who's yeah. not." Yeah. And I don't, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what you're getting at, but I'm not buying it. And it felt like kind of validation of that process. Cause the guys that were there for one of the first times all year looked like they like actually wanted to be there and, uh, and were responding and, and partially that's because the game was going well and that's just how it goes. But even in earlier wins, I didn't see the same amount of response and fight because look there there's multiple times you could have quit Brody. I, I, I look at like, Oh my God. There's, yeah. there, there's okay. So the things that stand, the times that stand out to me halfway through the first quarter, you open up with this excellent goal line stand that really sets the mood. The problem is like two minutes later, Florida ends up getting the ball back. They score. It's you're not even eight minutes into the game and they've already marched down the field twice. Like it's nothing. It's seven zero. That was a critical point. That was like, uh, Oh man, I don't know how this is going to go. What did the offense do? They respond a very poised rhythmic drive featured a lot of Max Johnson's legs immediately taking advantage of his different skill set, and you score a touchdown on third and goal. A couple great plays along the way to Johnson on the third and five, yeah. standing strong in the face of double A gap blitzers. Uh, the throw on third and goal, which it, it's so funny, man. The amount, and we'll get to this, the amount of young players making plays on that third and goal, that opening touchdown that was so needed at that moment. They had Cole Taylor on a one on one pass block. <laughs> on the play action, and he and it wasn't like he did not dominate his guys all, but he literally did just enough. And then Johnson with a touch pass over the top, so that was a huge response moment. The touchdown drive to end the first half was a huge response moment, right? Like Florida had had some really bad, bad plays, and yet despite all of that, they still had a seventeen fourteen lead. And, and like that felt like another perfect moment for that house of cards come crumbling down. Okay, offense will get stopped. Florida will get the ball back, and then they'll just go score because that's what they've been doing. But no, the offense scores a touchdown, and everything changes. And then I, this was, I think, the most important and the most impressive to me. Yep. It was in the third quarter when just in what felt like a couple of minutes, Florida rattles off 14, and all of a sudden you look up, and it's 27-31. And you could see on the Florida sideline, it felt like they really felt like they had won. It's 31-27. And then all of a sudden, your offense comes in and you go three and out. And it ends with Max Johnson like trying to dive but getting lit up out of bounds. And at that moment, it really felt like, okay, that's like one of those images. Well, there's momentum. Like, that's where it ends. It's LSU defense. What are they going to do? They're, they're not that good, right? And that's when the defense kind of epitomized the whole game. Bim, but don't break. They said no more, and they got hot. And for the first time all year, it feels like they put together three three and outs in a row, and they were critical three and outs. It ends up being the difference in a game. It allows the offense time, and you end up getting the win. Yeah, I think the defense just never breaking is the key thing there, right? Because, I mean, it's it's not even just the times that the game almost got away from you, which you – 
you know, broke down very well. It's because that's the main thing, of course. When they go down 31-27, I think everybody in that stadium was like, all right, yeah, like, this is how it goes. It's fine. Like, no one's going to be that mad about it. You know, they were supposed to lose this game. And, like, I already had my story basically pre-written that it was going to be like, you know, LSU really showed (laughs) some fight, had some things that they can actually be really proud of. But, hey, at the end of the day, four is better. I wouldn't wouldn't criticize LSU for that. And then, you know, for them to not back down there and actually come down and take the lead. And, and by the way, when they – so they lead that drive right as the fog starting to get pretty bad, right? And Max Johnson goes downfield, just throws that beautiful 41-yard ball down the sideline to Kayshawn Booty, which, by the way, it's Booty. I I, I have that down. Uh, And gets that down the sideline to Booty and and – you know, you, you get that drive and my editor, Jason Stare, immediately messaged me and he's like, they got that touchdown at the exact right time because it was yeah. right before the fog got terrible. So like it was the like even that when you go to the win expectancy and all that stuff, you can't factor that in. But no, the, the defensive part to me is what I will to some extent remember most from this game as much as the shoe even in the sense that and a lot of this was luck. Of course it was. But. Florida got to the red zone in, a, in, a, in an absurd amount of times, right? Yeah. I mean, you, we, Dan Mullen at, at well. halftime was – like when Dan Mullen was out at asked at halftime, like how he felt about the game, it was like, how many yards do we have? And it was like 400 and a half. And it was just like, yeah, like we just need to execute in the red zone. This game should be over. But they didn't. You know, they, they got stopped at the goal line, credit where that's due. You can make as many jokes as you want about that nonsense off-the-helmet interception, but still they did like stop that pass. The interception might have been lucky, but they still were about to get a stop there. And, and then I'll, we'll get into the interception because the interception encapsulates <laughs> the whole game in which it, it was uh, a it beautiful play full of human variability and ability all at the same time. It, it was and it's just almost, a magical play. And it's almost the most forgotten play of that of that game because so many other nonsensical moments happened. But then and then the, even the Eli Ricks interception, correct me if I'm wrong, that was also when Florida was moving downfield and then. And then I think the one that really sealed it was the Ray Thornton, you know, fumble. But yes. this defense yes. just our guy, that, dude, our guy on a week uh, where there's so much conversation about leaving on a week where there's so much conversation about guys leaving the program, not being committed. Ray Thornton, the man who has always been mentioned, but never really been featured, but stuck in the program, stuck by his work ethic. Ray Thornton makes a huge play <laughs> that ends up giving you three and you end up winning by three. There is some beautiful poetry, uh, just natural poetry written there. Yeah, and I think this is almost where we can get to the the win expectancy part of this, right? Because in this, you know, it's when you bring up the, you know, the the fact that they scored at the exact right time or interception going off a helmet or, you know, all these things are Florida, I mean, having what, 600, however many yards of offense and only getting X amount of points from it or a, a shoe getting thrown. It's that. I, I understand, and we can get to the definition of it in a second, but I understand that LSU should have lost this game in every single way. But the only part, and I am the Bill Connolly defender, right? I, I live by the SP Plus and all those metrics and all that. But the only thing I will like argue about the, the win expectancy and all that stuff about from this game and that they only had a 0.6% chance of really winning is that they were always in the game and always out of control. And, and that's the only reason I say, like, you know, it wasn't like they were down 14 and some nonsense happened. It wasn't like, you know, they, I don't know. It wasn't like this was just kind no, of, no, it was earned. Like it was earned. Yeah. Look, they were you, there's, there's some wisdom it. to the idea, maybe not mathematical wisdom, but there is something to be said about kind of creating your own luck. Right. Yeah. And, and that picks the perfect play because it took some and being wild- good in the margins is good coaching and that's good football, right? Being good yes. in the 0.6 margin. That's a skill. 
And so like stuff like, you know, Dwight McLaughlin's foot being an inch above the ground when the ball goes off his helmet, <laughs> that's a little bit of luck. But Dwight McLaughlin was in a good spot. And then obviously how Jay Ward finishes that play is just, it's everything that ultimately mathematics can't really account for, right? Which is just human variability where Jay Ward, so first you have the lucky pieces of the ball bouncing to McLaughlin, happens to be standing there, his foot's an inch off the ground when it bounces off him. Jay Ward then has the presence of mind, uh, and mental awareness, like it's mental emphasis. He has, he has the presence of mind to know where he is on the field to get himself off of the sideline, uh, to have the hand-eye coordination to catch that ball, all while having the athleticism of making sure that he's not touching the sideline as he catches it. It's like like it, predictive, and you know the, these analytics, they're 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 wonderful tools, right? Um, yeah. but, but it's like, this is kind of one of those moments where you get reminded that you, you not yet, at least you just can't quite math everything out yet. Life still has these, these unexpected turns for you. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but it's just, it's a thought I have right now. And it's one of those things that I'm not even saying I believe this, but this is what LSU needs to get behind and sell to its players and its recruits and all these things to get things on track. And it's that, like you're saying, like the Jay Ward and the Dwight like McLeathern and just like having your, you know, having the wherewithal to like get your body up that slight amount out of bounds and all of that and all of the weirdness of this game. I think this needs to be the thing that it's like, this is your foundation you are building toward whatever you hope to be in two years. And I I stand by and I firmly believe this, that 2019's championship does not happen without Troy loss in 2017. And just the weird, like I love 2018 season will always be my favorite season to cover even more than 2019, because that year was sloppy and weird. And almost every metric said LSU was like the 20th best team in the country, but they just kept like winning in the margins and all this like weird games were happening, even with so many flaws on that team. That was my favorite. So that like by 2019, you had just like this battle tested group of dudes who knew how to go through stuff, knew how to win in those margins and just like, and then got better and became great. And this team, this roster has a long way to go. And this is where I, that's why I say, I don't know if I even buy this, but they need to buy it is that. Yeah. I, they have. They need a lot more talent. They need this 21, 20, 2021 class to be great. They need to hold on to a lot of that 2020 class, which you and I both know they, they might lose some guys from it. You know, I, I think there's a long way to go here. But if you can keep those guys together, having this group that's been through this year, and by the way, if you went through this year and never showed progress, it would be harder 
but being able to show that you've been through it and then you came back and beat Florida to have your Jay Wards or the guys I like to highlight or your Micah Baskervilles or your Jarae Jenkins, guys like that in your locker room that are just scrappy guys who know what they're doing. And then as the talent grows, you have this, this uh, sweat equity. I love that term. You know, the sweat yeah, equity to, to, to get there. I think that's the essential thing they need to build on. And that is why, I think it's getting ahead of myself, yes, but that is why this win might matter for this program because this might be, you know, like we said, all these freshmen are thinking about leaving and sophomores are thinking about leaving. And, like, I don't think that's going away, but a win like this might help their chances a lot. It might help a lot. I mean, you can squeeze a lot of juice out of this stone. Uh, I've always wondered, though, is sweat better than saying both words? I like sweat equity. There's a rhythm to it. There's okay. like a, a okay. bounce to it. I like the the consonants there. I like sweat equity. Okay, that's fine. Um, and then to your point, just this is something else. Uh, I'm just going to name some of the true freshmen that made plays in this game, right? You had Kayshawn Booty, Max Johnson, Coy Moore, Jaquail and Roy, who I want to talk about in a second, Eli Ricks, Cole Taylor, Kevontre Bradford, Marlon Martinez yeah. made an appearance, BJ Ojolari. I mean, the list goes, well, that's the list, but you get the point. That's, that's a lot. freshmen and sophomores played. I mean, that's a, that is pretty wild, man. That is a lot of young guys. And remember all season long, what have we said is the hallmark of a young team? That they are, if they're talented, that they're going to be volatile, right? They're going to look horrible some games, and then some games are going to get together and like make you think they're pretty damn good. And this is kind of one of those games. So you're right. If you can recapture that locker room, if you can get guys bought back in and keep together that recruiting class on Wednesday, then you're kind of good to go. I mean, you're, 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 I mean, quite honestly. Good to go is a stretch. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know, though, dude. That's what I'm saying. That's a you lot gotta of You got to make talent. some coaching changes still. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. You got to win back the locker room. You, well, well, that, well that, no, that was the first thing I said. You, you have, if you can, okay, if you can repair that relationship and then land the signing class and, you know, you got the old lineman like we're talking about, then, yeah, yeah. then you're going. I, I'm sorry. I also, everybody needs to assume at this point that every conversation I have about the future of LSU does not involve Bo Pelini and I don't know how <laughs> how many other coaches like end up going or what happens there, but I'm just saying like you do need a new defensive corner. That will be obviously one of the uh, offseason goals. But but so so yes, there are still hurdles to navigate, but this was a testament to, like you said, the talent that is still on this team. The cupboard is not as bare as uh, I think a lot of people were feeling. Absolutely. And you're seeing growth, which is the number one thing you can take some pride in. By the way, one other just stat to throw out there. Like I said, 26 freshmen and sophomores played, but every single point scored was by a freshman or sophomore. So that's Ooh, just little things like that. Son, that's and, crazy. And there's almost something to the fact that, and those guys weren't even the highly touted dudes. You know what I mean? I mean, Booty, of course, was. But like Trey Bradford wasn't. Max Johnson wasn't, to be honest. Uh, Jerry Jenkins was absolutely not. So like there's something even better to that sense. That's not even like your, your headliners. And that's by the way, I'm not predicting this, but that's where you get your 2017 classes, right? Yep. The class that I think will go yep. down as maybe the best ever. It's that the two stars and three stars are the ones excelling. That's huge. But uh development. Yes. And then and then that's the continued development. Because that's yeah. what LSU's trying to sell right now. And I don't know absolutely if uh, I well, I don't I mean I, I don't know if it resonates or not on the recruiting trail. I'm sure it does to some extent for sure, but if you could have another batch of guys come in and see them grow in that same way, like your Lloyd Cushenberries and your Jeffersons and all that, then, well, I mean, that would, yeah, that's an easy match to sell on the trail. Um, <laughs> I said I wanted so, to talk about Jaquel yeah. and Roy. Uh, 
I thought that this was the first time where he actually flashed to me on film. I, I know that he's had other good games and, and other people that, you know, I, I whatever. I, I've heard other people talk about how good they thought he played before. I, I thought he played all right. Uh, he he flashes before, but he never flashed, looked like but, good. But, but, yeah. not, but I mean, but even then, I, I don't even like... I. I'm str- I struggle to call to my mind a big Jaqueline Roy play before this game. Um, but, but, but that's fine because this game, I've got like three or four in my head. Uh, he came up, he, so he had a huge sack on the fourth down and goal, goal line stand. He was excellent against the double team. Now, Neil Farrell made that play. That was like D-line clinic tape, what Neil Farrell did. It was fantastic, but Roy held it down on the double team, allowed that to... Uh, Ultimately, get the stop. He forced the intentional grounding that caused the field goal at the end. And he was just, it just seemed like he was kind of consistently wreaking a little havoc. So this felt like, again, another young guy taking a, a, a really huge step forward on a big stage. Yeah, he looks like a guy, and this was always, I think, what we all expected of him, is a guy who could be that athletic, attacking 4-3 defensive tackle. Like He is the perfect one. And I think the thing with him was always, I mean, the athleticism was there. He got his body right. He got it slim before he got to college. And then you're just adding muscle, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. So yeah, I think yeah. by sophomore year, I mean, once he even puts gets fuller, he should be just like one of, you know, an all SEC kind of guy because he has that ability. And then you have Ojalari and him, if you can hold on to these guys and, and Guillory. And I mean, I assume Ollie Gay's back at this point. And then you bring in a really good defense edge rusher class on this 2021 group. And it looks like they're going to hold on to pretty much all those edge rushers, at least with your Landon Jackson's and your Keanu Coates and your Savion, uh, Savion Jones, you know, guys like that. That's a, all of a sudden you're really feeling good about just that, uh, that attacking four man front that you've always wanted. So I think that's something where you shouldn't give up on a four, three, because I think you might get the pieces even more soon. So do we, can we talk about Max Johnson in the offense a little bit? Yeah. Or do you have more you want to get to. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I, yeah, I can talk about anything you want. <laughs> Yeah, I know. There's a lot to get here. So (laughs) I came away, and I I preface this by saying I've always been the guy saying nonstop. I didn't. I was never thought T.J. Finley looked like he was the savior, and I also never thought T.J. Finley looked bad this year. He has been an impressive freshman, but not not more than that, not less than that. So I don't want. This is not a criticism of T.J. Finley. He probably deserved those first four starts, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It was just time to give Max Johnson a chance. But I was. Blown away is too strong because in the end of the day, it was game managing. But I was very impressed by Max Johnson in this game. And I think I have a theory on this. And I asked some people in the program and they kind of like brushed me off a little bit on this. But my theory is I think there's something to the notion that the things Mac jo- Max Johnson is great at are not things that are going to blow you away on a practice field. So they're probably not things that were going to win him the job right away because I think on a practice field, and again, you can also argue me on this, but things on a practice field are going to be more about. You know, TJ Finley's arm is probably going to look amazing on a practice field. And and even his, you know, it's just like his physical tools, you think, would have wow you on a practice field. But like little things like cadence and poise and and being able to just kind of like read the blitz, the blitzing corner and just those little nuances. Those are things that I think are Max Johnson's greatest strengths. I mean, in touch, by the way, his greatest strength, you know, when you're comparing him to Finley is touch. And I think those little things are what are going to 
kind of come out in the game more than they would in any practice. Like I think the things that I fell in love with about Max Johnson Saturday are that those things that are probably a little more intangible, right? His ability to just kind of maneuver that pressure in the pocket, not run and scramble, but just like sidestep a little, but not run away, just sidestep a little in the pocket. You know, those little things are reading the blitz and getting the ball out quick. Those things really impressed me. And then the fact that he, only took two shots, I believe, this entire football game. Like, he mainly managed. You know, he mainly just hit his slants, did his job. He only took two shots, and they were both hit for about 80 yards and, you know, set up two scores. So, I think I was just really impressed with him, and in tandem with that, really impressed well, with Steve. Uh, well, he had one other shot. He had the uh, the friggin' Steph Curry moon ball that he threw on the first. It was, like, coming out of the end zone. Did you see that on the sky Oh, yes. Replay? Thank you for that. Yeah. It almost hit the sky cam. It was wild. Uh, it was really weird. Uh, yeah. No. Okay. Look, I, I, I think you hit, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head with Johnson. Um, obviously his legs had a huge impact this game. And so that's going to be a, a, a key difference with Finley, but I should also preface it with this. Um, I, 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 I think that both of these quarterbacks showed me a lot this season. I would be very interested to see Max Johnson in another game because larger sample sizes are always better. Um, yeah. but like, I'm not leaving this year with any clear idea of who the quarterback is going to be no. next year. I just know that I am excited now because I feel like both freshmen showed that they have a ton of potential and like different skill sets, right? Yeah. So different ways to reach that potential. And then I think you have Miles Brennan, who's still better than both of them. So there is like, so like yeah. if, if nothing else, and, and then Nussmeyer comes in all of a sudden, you yeah. Have, and so LSU fans, yeah. if nothing else, that's what they should be happy about. You know, you're going to get a good quarterback out of that. Like whoever wins that competition and they will have good skill guys to throw to, at least you hope. But so, so, okay. So I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to talk about Finley and Pierce with Johnson more. I'm just going to say what I saw. Yeah, of me Johnson. neither. Um, yeah. but no, but it, but it has to be, I mean, that conversation's being had. So people are talking about it all the time. I just, I just think it's a pointless conversation now because you have to allow, cause these guys are going to grow by leaps and bounds in the off season too. So yeah. what you're seeing and, and now also is just, not going to be jump them in. Then. The key thing to just remind listeners is that Johnson right now where he's at is exactly how you felt after Finley, South Carolina. Game. Yeah, exactly. Not, That's not, what I'm saying. And the offensive so just line remember, kicked ass. Johnson will probably have a bad game. That's fine. Anyway, go on. And, and the offensive line kicked ass. I mean, the freshman quarterback fate has been directly tied to offensive line play. Anyway, though. Great point. Great I thought point. that um, Max's uh, legs made a huge difference. Like I said, it was a great way to extend drives and kind of provide some rhythm. For the offense, right? At times when you're probably looking at a three and out, if he doesn't scramble for a first down, um, I feel like early on that really kind of helped settle LSU. I mentioned the third and five and the uh, third and goal in the first touchdown. Um, what you were just talking about, Brody, that really stood out to me on the critical touchdown drive right before half, where I was really um, quite impressed watching how he managed a two-minute type of situation. His, his tempo, he never looked hurried. He made the correct reads and decisions, whether it was throwing the ball, finding uh, Kayshawn Booty, whether it was him running out of bounds uh, to stop the clock. Like, and, and ultimately, if you really re-watch the touchdown drive where Booty has the three big catches right before half, it is the smoothness. It's, it's, it's the smooth, rhythmic operation of the LSU tempo that allows him to catch Florida so off guard. Like Florida is still getting set as they're snapping that ball on the touchdown. And that's because of how smooth the operation was. And to your point, that's something that you're not really going to be able to replicate in practice. 
in the UFC in a game, and to see an 18-year-old do that is very impressive. Uh, I thought he showed uh, toughness. Um, I feel like one time he kind of got targeted on a pass to Dre Jenkins. I don't know why I have that here. Oh, because it was a big gain, and he got lit up, but it was completely fine. And yeah. then he, even though he doesn't have the size of Finley, uh, I was still he was still an impressive QB sneaker because of his vision. Yeah. He doesn't get stonewalled, little patience, lateral movement, find the hole. So, I mean, really just a fantastic performance from the freshman quarterback all around. Yeah, I mean, the the touchdown on the, you know, the cornerback blitz and the deep ball to boot it. I mean, that the impressive part of that wasn't like – it was just the fact that it took him half a second to see that he had two blitzing DBs, one on his left side, one on his right side. And, like, it wasn't like a, oh, shoot, he's open. It was just, like, immediate, like, oh, yeah. he's coming, boom. Like, it was just – it was in, in, it was instantaneous. And and then this one's more of a play-calling thing. But, I mean, no one else like, – obviously, everyone was panicking after the Bama game. But – and the I mean, I, for a good reason. But the one thing I kept saying was I was actually really impressed with the offense against Bama. Like, as weird as that sounds, yeah, I yeah, scored, what, 17 about, yeah. points. But it was like – they looked really competent and like moved the ball and had good flow with TJ Finley even in that first half. And then the game became a blowout. And they when the O line was blocky, well, which again yeah. is the common denominator in all of the offensive success or lack thereof. Good this point. Season. Good point. But I, I, I came away from the Bama game, and the Bama game was really to me the first time all year where I just felt like there was a good plan offensively. And I wasn't trying to do too much. It was just getting the ball in playmakers' hands in open space and one on ones and just letting them work a little bit. And I think that the promise thing was that it carried over this week and on that that first touchdown drive which in reality it was the first drive at the game because the first one was backed up in the end zone and okay first play i don't think the first play was a design run because receivers were downfield so it was a rollout he runs up for about first down on the left side and then the next play they almost used that i don't even know if this was in the script or something but they almost used that run the next play to an advantage because they immediately call it what looked like an RPO. He runs, and then because he just ran for a first down, that corner immediately takes off for him, and they get that little, you know, last second throw to the left side to Booty on an RPO, and then he oh, takes that for he, a first down. You're talking about when he like dragged his back foot to stay behind the line. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that was and that was a so they perfectly used his run to set up a you know an RPO on the next play, and I think they just had a rhythm to it, and I think. I think to some extent this playbook probably opens up a little more with Johnson, but I don't want to get ahead of myself on that. I'd probably need to see more games of that. But anyway, yeah. So well, I just and, and I mean, if we're really, just talking about offensive staff uh, from a gameplay standpoint, improvements. Um, hurry up, QB sneaks instead of hurry up third. Now <laughs> they did have a hurry up third and two zone that actually did work. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, hurry up and get in the line. Like I like that first third and short where they come out and empty. And, uh, you know, he starts in shotgun, and then he kind of half acts like he's like walking up, say some of the offensive line, and then he just takes a snap and sneaks it. So, 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 I mean, even that it's like, finally, it's something we've asked for all season long. They adjusted and, uh, and good things happen. The one time I maybe did think they misread it a little bit, Brody is they were running the ball really well. And it did feel like in the second quarter, maybe a little bit, they kind of got away from that. And then they yeah. came out the second half, though, and were just pounding it again to start the second half. And it kind of let you know, oh, okay, like the offensive line. I think like maybe the coaches didn't have faith that the offensive line was going to continue to win so consistently. And then when yeah. they opened up that second half drive, they're like, oh, no, okay, yeah, we 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 got these guys. Because we talked to like Verge this morning, and even he said something like, I mean, I, I don't think we really expected them to be that soft in the middle in terms of what our line was going to do against them. And and so once they adjusted to that, though, yes, I thought the play calling was spectacular. 
Yeah, so okay, where do you want to go from here, my guy? Um, well, I want to give credit to the offensive line because yeah, they've been do. much Continue. maligned. And uh, they handled the blitzes much better this week. Interestingly, I don't feel like Florida put together the best game plan. They did no. choose to play coverage quite a bit. And like, if I've watched LSU film this year, every single team that elects to play coverage against these young quarterbacks, it has not gone well. And and that was the case once again. Uh, now, granted, when they did come, the offensive line did a much better job of uh, of protecting the quarterback. Um, and and really, they almost had one of those golden opera, like one of those statement drives where to open the second half, they ran it right down Florida. So they get to the one, and then there's that hold on Chase and Hines, and and uh, and was it Curry in then, or maybe it was TDP? Whoever I think it was Curry, he scored on that run. They called him down. I believe that it would have been reviewed in touchdown, but a hold brings it back. You end up kicking a field goal, but that was still a very impressive drive. So credit to the offensive line, to a man. Everybody played well. Um, I think the value of Cam Wire showed up once again, being able to step in at right guard. Offense didn't miss a beat. I need to rewatch again to see if I believe this, but like maybe he looks at being a starter at right guard. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. have to see. Um, and then even, uh, Marlon Martinez got a couple snaps, 18 years old, <laughs> steps in at right guard, uh, up 27, 24, six minutes left of the third in the swamp. Uh, welcome to the game, Martinez. So it was just like uh, Shanahan, just the whole crew. I thought, uh, played well. And ultimately, yeah, uh, that's the reason why you won the game. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So you you brought up something that I just want to like throw out real quick just to go back to like how they kind of battled is that there was a moment there in the third quarter where it really was like, like just from a roster point of view, like, oh, this is going to go bad, right? Because like you said, Wire was already coming in a right guard for an injured Chase and Hines. Then Deculus goes down. And yeah. like, at the moment, it looked like he was done for the day. And I'm sitting there scrambling being like, wait, okay, Charles Turner's not with the team right now. Yeah. They have no f- Bradford and Thomas are either not with the team or just they have no faith in them and all that. And you're like, wait. I literally don't know who the next lineman up is. Like, I have actually no idea, which is a very rare feeling when covering college football. And they go with Martinez and obviously did well, but you had that. And then different stretches, TDP and Emery were out. So they were, and this is no, I actually got like a lot of flack for tweeting this, but it was like Josh Williams, who was a walk-on until three months ago, who, by the way, they like a lot. So it's not like, like, holy crap, he's in. But still, like, they were putting a former walk-on in because all their running backs were injured. And it was just like, wait, they have no running backs. They're putting their, like, eighth, ninth string O-lineman in. It's like, oh, they have no options right now. I don't know how it's possible they hold yeah. on to win this game. And obviously some guys came back and whatnot. But it was just, like, actually pretty 
pretty wild that they didn't buckle at that point, which so you know, we've already reiterated of, that a million times. But. Uh, speaking of some of those guys you were just talking about, uh, <laughs> and just like freshmen making just being in crazy situations uh, for the first time in their career, how about is that that's Trey Bradford's first touchdown, right? It was. I mean, he's a guy who dropped like four passes before, well, and he catches. Yeah. The okay. Wait, wait. Wait. So that's what I'm thinking. That's what else I was going to get to. Sorry. That. No. 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 That's Damn fine. It. No. No. That's fine. But first, think about what an incredible first career touchdown. It's third and goal, and it's to take a three point lead in the swamp against the number six team in the nation deep in the fourth quarter. Like that's pretty awesome. Also, though, to your <laughs> point. He had dropped the last three passes that has gone that way. He almost dropped the touchdown. He double-clutched it. Now he got it, so it doesn't matter, but he double-clutched it. And then he dropped the next pass after that. So, like, they obviously love him as a third-down option, but he needs to translate whatever they're seeing on the – on the practice field to the game. But you know what? Take a bow, Trey Bradford. You can fix the drops. You caught the one that truly mattered. But, uh, man, just a wild experience for a very young guy there. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to think. Okay. okay. I've got, I've got, I've got, I got, wait, hold on. Sorry. I've got plenty I have something I want to get to, but I want to go. Yeah. Do your thing. Okay. Okay. A couple more things I want to make sure get on the pod. Please. Yeah. Damone Clark. Right, like the offensive line, Ooh. much maligned. Um, he had his best game yet. It's by no means perfect, but it is a vast improvement over what we had seen from him previously. I thought for the first time he looked kind of com- he looked comfortable at times. And and I think that finally allowed his athleticism to start to flash a little bit. I still don't always love how he catches kind of linemen, but he had a couple nice stops. He had the TFL. He was generally more aggressive. He had that really nice pass breakup on the wheel route that could have been a huge play. Um, so I just thought, I actually thought it was the best night for the number eight teams in general, but I just, I, I yeah. do want to highlight Damone Clark because his number that he was given, that, that, that tradition for whatever you think of it, it applied probably a completely false level of expectation to him, uh, as did the coaching staff. And 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 so all of a sudden, when he doesn't even get close to that expectation, you feel like his story isn't written. So here I am always talking about allowing guys room for growth and improvement, but I kind of felt like I had written Damone Clark off. Well, he kept working, and he looked like he had improved, and he looked really good this game. When you had to have him, when Micah Baskerville's out, so credit to... Damone Clark for uh for for just stepping up, man. And then hey, what do you think? What do you what do you think about Eli Rick's celebration on the pick six? <laughs> Very it's who he is. You know, like, it was so badass, dude. It was so badass. Oh, he, I thought it was he, stupid. He now he now he now already been yelled at for it. He now even yelled at for it. He's done it both. Like, he's done it both pick sixes. <laughs> and then you just watch your your the other number one, Kayshawn Booty, drop a touchdown before the end zone. Yeah, dude. And then yeah, like there's so many reasons. And you're three and five and having a terrible year. There's so many reasons not to do that. But I still can get behind. It, it was cool, and I can get behind. Like there was that great shot someone put of like like. The freeze frame of basically him like looking like he's standing at the one yard line looking at Kyle Trask and being like <laughs> and someone tweeted like hey if you're Kyle Trask if you have a true freshman on a three and five team stare you down on an interception return I don't think you can win the Heisman which is probably true <laughs> either way credit words do Eli Ricks really it's you can really- almost make like a weird messed up argument that he's their most consistent player on defense this whole season yeah. which is mind-blowing no I mean and it's yeah, true I mean- because the games that Singley's missed if nothing else yeah, four uh, picks this year, two pick sixes, 
has really showed up in every game he's been healthy and looked really and good. And this was a yeah. really instinctual pick six. Now, I don't always know coverage rules, but to me... I was also very confused what they were running there. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was kind of a zone man thing where he was kind of waiting for somebody to enter his zone, but yeah, it didn't look necessarily like he was locked in on any one person, but he definitely kind of smelt out. I, it just looked like he felt the flow of the play. He was eyeing the receiver. He was eyeing Trask. He got a great jump on it. And then, look, his his ball skills, his ability to finish unmatched. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you definitely got to get him to stop celebrating. But since you got away with it, it was super cool. Uh, plus, <laughs> how, how do we know that he wasn't being sportsmanlike, right? What if he was telling Kyle huh. Trask, like, I think you're a really good player, and I hate to have to do this to you, but just know that I still respect you, and that was a really good pass, but... I'm sorry. Yeah, maybe he was like, hey, my guy, huge fan of yours. If you yes. want him to take the next step, you got to watch for that guy on the inside. Yeah. The next time you'll get a good luck out there, you know? Yes, exactly. that, that was nice of him. He, ooh, was, ooh, he, ooh. he was just letting him get in his head, you know, helping him out a little bit. Yeah, uh, so yeah shout out Eli yeah. Ricks, dude. And then, I mean, uh, Jabril Cox had a really good game as well. Yeah, he was. was. Yeah, I actually completely forgot about that. Yeah, he literally was playing. He's done this a few times this year, but this was the most I've seen him like play just cornerback. Yeah, and, like <laughs> yeah. You, know, go, you can you can run away with it. And he had two pass breakups. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's all. That's all. I, I, okay, I, I think I finally hit my my kind of like must mention list from this game. Okay, how, how long have we been going here? Are we going too long? Uh, I, we have I gone think- forty five minutes. Okay. We do have to just at least very quickly talk about last week and like, and we could talk about it in tandem with what's going on with the wind. So I talk about it so much on the radio. I didn't even realize that we didn't talk about it on last pod. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'll just really run it down for everyone. I think everyone knows this, but still, okay. Eric Gilbert opts out, but let's be, I mean, everything was, I was being told Monday night. They, I think they're calling an opt out to just like optically make it look like they can still convince him. And by the way, I've heard little things that I think they might convince him. I don't think it's over by any means, but he was leaving. Like, I, I believe that is everything I was being told. And then you have, you know, that's obviously a dramatic night, Monday night. And then you have, and a lot of other stuff happened with Eric Gilbert that I think both of us have heard that just, you know, I don't think he had a great week. And and then you have plenty of rumors that the advocate reported, we reported, 24-7 sports reported that, there's a lot of rumors of a lot more guys. I mean, I've heard numbers like eight to 12 more freshmen and sophomores, like relevant ones could leave. And, you know, it just really looked bad. And I guess just like, what what, do you, what, what are your thoughts on last week? Uh, I, okay. So on the Eric Gilbert, it's, thing, it's a big question. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. On the Eric Gilbert thing. I think that I, um, I think that I, 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 and I, and I've tweeted, talked about it the other week, but I don't like how I reacted live to that. I don't think I put a lot of critical thought into it at first. I think I approached it from a very like, uh, you know, meathead kind of what would I do if I was still playing football uh, kind of way? Because I originally said, like, you look, man, if I'm a teammate and you quit on the team in the middle of the season, I mean, that's fine. You got to do what you got to do. But like, that's a wrap. Like, get out of here. Like, I like I, I don't care. Like and then and then you had the body hurt thing and a couple players kind of jumped on like. A body hurt? Like what? Can you imagine? Ed did him wrong by saying that. Well, I know, I know, right? But Ed was trying to protect him, and in turn, actually made it worse. Yes, and that was exactly a a big miscalculation. Go on. Yes, and it's just another reminder of how kind of the PR game is very real, and when you're in that positions of power, (laughs) you have to be very careful about how you word everything, because especially when the magnifying glass is turned up as high as it was last week, every single thing that you say 
will be picked apart. Um, but bottom line, I, I do kind of feel that I reacted like an asshole. And I tweeted later tonight because I really thought about it all day. And like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of two minds. Or yes, player me, uh, sadly, for better or for worse, probably would have and did in the past. I mean, I have guys that I consider myself to be very good friends with that quit in the middle of the season that just nobody ever talked to ever again. And and so uh so that that I mean yeah that that that's probably how I would have felt in college I wish it would be different I don't know. Um uh, but as an adult I think I can appreciate that and you know people kept saying homesickness but what like what is homesickness if not like just an intense sadness right? And right as an adult I can appreciate if if you can't shake that and that's just following you around everywhere that can break you down. That's terrible. And and you have to do whatever you feel you need to do to get that fixed. And look, man, there's going to be plenty of great football players. There's still going to be a football team. They're still going to play football. Like, yeah, you lose a great player, but my life goes on unimpeded. Like, it's my life is fine. So then, why do I feel so comfortable and like sitting in judgment of someone who's trying to make theirs fine? And, and so, I, I just want to be painfully clear that Rick Gilbert, you do whatever you got to do is best for you and if that's moving on move on if not if not whatever um but but ultimately at, at the same time it is also a situation where i think the correct way to handle it in that locker room is you know not to make, like cut them off completely like i was would have done back in the day but like you know you can stay friends with them you can still talk with them but like you you just you ultimately you want what this game proved is you want guys on the team that ultimately want to be there and so if guys want to leave just just accept it, absorb it, and just do the best to make the most of it because it is what it is. And you can't just like sit here and lament the past and feel like, oh, what if I done this? What have I done that? You just you have to move forward with with what you've got. And and this is more not even just a Gilbert thing. I think it's a whole the season thing. And I think there's something there where first off, yeah. I mean, homesick was a Probably lazy word to use to describe it, but it was also a word used very often with me by people who like weren't like the spin guys. Let's put it that way. And that kind of since he arrived, he wasn't that happy and, you know, wasn't like miserable, but just wasn't very happy. And then there's another thing that I think is very real. And I think it's all across college football, but it's just heightened by LSU because they're three and five and the Ogeron drama and all that stuff. But there's an actual mental health issue in college football right now. And I know there, I mean, there have been some good pieces written about mental health issues in the NBA bubble. Granted, that's a different situation, but there is a real thing. And I've had people in the program tell me, like, listen, these freshmen are just miserable right now because they came there, they went to college, and they thought they were going to have a college experience. And then they first off don't. So then you're like, well, what is college? I came here for all these things and we're three and five and I don't get the college experience. And you are grinding your life away. Yes, you know far better than I. And normally you have an outlet. And once one player source told me, he's like, I have an outlet. Like, I have my outlets and I know how to use my outlets when I am just worn down from this season. Yeah. It's really important. And they don't. They have no outlet right now in this pandemic. Can't even go so party, they- dude. Yeah, you can't. That's huge. And like, I know it sounds silly and you can't quantify that, but it's real. So now you have all these just like bottled up, miserable dudes who are having also a terrible year. 
and it's everyone hates them and like they are actually really i think i mean this is dramatic to be clear but one one source said like he's like i think half of our freshman class right now has depression symptoms like and it, it sounded crazy but it's it's real so i think that has to be factored in and again it's happening everywhere in college football and i know the athletic has a few people reporting a, a piece on the greater issue right now but i think lsu is just kind of heightened because you are also bad and you also have the Ogeron locker room dynamics that obviously he's frustrated a large portion of that group. So, and, and as much L- as LSU is a bit unique in that maybe compared to, um, well, I, I, I don't know. It's just when, when you, when you look around college football, like in terms of the media pressure and everything else that comes with it in terms of just like the entire state kind of feeling all in on this one school, uh, when things go bad, you really feel it as a player. And I'm sure you feel it anywhere, but I mean, I got to imagine that there is some uniqueness uh, there in terms of, like there's there's only a few schools where you're going to feel it that much, as much as what these players must be feeling right now. No, that's a good point. Um, LSU is a, and that fan base is just different. They really, they are behind you at like almost no other when you're doing well, but they attack you much more than a lot of others I know when it's not going well. So it's a good point. So yeah, I mean, I want to, and I brought this up just to be like, and we alluded to it earlier that you can do a lot with this, but how do you feel after last week and now with the win? And now I I think this class isn't going to be as good as it could have been about three months ago i thought lsu really could have landed the number one class in the country about two months ago it really looked like they were going to have foreman smith tristan lee all these guys it's still going to be a top five class it is so with that being said how do you feel about lsu football and ogeron and that locker room right now um i mean put you on a spot yeah no i don't I don't know, man. I I don't feel good because none of the rumors are good. I think that obviously this win has the potential to uh, potential uh, the potential to you can use this to to repair some relationships. I'm sure, or as a selling point to maybe begin a sort of healing uh, sort of process. It is, but like I I can't. So I say I feel bad about it, but but more I just feel like I I don't I don't. I don't know what's going on. I don't, I, I don't know what's going on because I still don't know what I believe or not about what originally went down. It definitely does seem like there was a disconnect, um, during the, during the social justice, uh, marches of this summer. And that makes all the sense in the world. I mean, when you just look at how disconnected the team looked and some of the whispers that you've heard. And to me, it's really, well, it's a story that, that, that as it goes uh, from Brooks' article the other day, it's like, so Ogeron shows up, didn't know why nobody was there. They had the walk and they met in the office, president's office. We heard that meeting went well. Maybe that meeting didn't actually go well. And I know, I know I've said this in the past, but I think it, the, the the reason if you're sitting here listening, you're like, well, why is that so explosive? Why 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 does that matter so much? Well, I mean, Ogeron's entire recruiting pitch is that these kids are going to be like his kids, and they're like family, and you got to have your kids' best interests at heart and what they believe in. You have to be willing to engage with that and like really engage with that, and just on an emotional level, you should be there to support them in their. And, and, and what they were going through this summer. And it sounds like maybe they were not. And then, and then, so that's just on like an emotional side of it on, on just a coldly cynical CEO side of it. Uh, these are your employees and you have to recognize, you have to read the room and you have to 
kind of know how to approach a situation so that something doesn't happen. Like maybe what's being reported is happening where you have a huge breakdown between staff and players. So it sounds like they really uh, bungled it, which is bad, you know, which is disappointing, like I said, in an emotional sense, in a more human sense. And it's also disappointing just in like a business sense. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you come back from that is a thing. Uh, is, is it a win like this? Is it just every day? Because that all goes back to culture, right? And I think about David Griffin and some of the stuff that like him and like just whatever, like Pelicans press conferences. He's a great press conference guy, right? Always makes everything sound very smart. But when he talks about culture, him and Van Gundy were talking about this where, you know, it's a fascinating thing because like it's, it, it is literally built over time, action by action. It takes a while to create a good culture. And LSU had that last year. They had that, but culture is kind of like reputation. It can be torn down way faster than it can be built up. And so when you have the exodus of all that leadership and then you have a moment like this, that is a recipe to break culture. And so I don't know how you get that fixed except for over time, which is why saving something like this recruiting class on Wednesday as much as you can is such a big deal and why some of this young talent is such a big deal is because they will be there over time. And so maybe you can eventually get it back together. Yeah, no, it's really well said. And I also think it's just worth saying, like, I don't think it's, I think it all started to some extent with the off season stuff we talked about. Yes. And, but I don't think it's ever that simplistic. Right. I think that really made things difficult. And then I think Ogeron kind of slipped back into his own miss ways, not in an extreme way to be clear, but you know, in some ways it's starting to fall back into those old miss habits and, and rub some players and coaches the wrong way and things like that. And I just think it all kind of compounds on each other. And I think that's how you got to this point. But yeah, as I always have to reiterate with that Ogeron, and we can wrap up on this if you'd like, and we can, yeah, I mean, the only thing I will always reiterate with Ogeron, though, is as much as I'm criticizing him, as much as all these things are problems, he has proven more than any coach I have ever seen. He can turn things around. He can listen. He can adapt. So we'll see if he does. And also, they just won this game, so I shouldn't be, like, ripping on him right now, and I'm, I'm not trying to either. So, yeah, I mean, things can turn around, but there's a lot to do. Yeah, yeah, but a win like this can go a long way, so it'll be interesting. See how it goes from here on out. Uh, Who wins the Ole Miss game? Go. Do you think they play? Do you think they play it? Is that yeah right? Ooh. I mean, I'm not. I, I've heard like some people say, I don't know. I, I guess I guess it would just be how could we have a prediction? It would just be like COVID stuff if it were to get canceled. Who wins the Ole Miss game? Um, I'll still I'll still say Ole Miss because I'm just gonna stick by kind of what I said. But uh, well, no, I mean I don't know though. I hate saying that because <laughs> I'm also the person that's kind of been pointing out to people like even before this Florida game, like let's not act like the Ole Miss game's just like an automatic loss. Like I, I, I no. definitely saw that becoming like a a a common theme last week, and I think that's a bit defeatist. Like that's not the case at all. So I don't know. It feels very close. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'll I mean, say Ole, Ole Miss. Miss- yeah, my gut says Ole Miss just because I think the things that they are good at are more sustainable. While everything else he was good at is very fluck, like fluid week to week, you just never know what you're going to get. So, like, I know their offense is going to show up, and and I think that's enough to make me think that. Uh, yeah. And by the way, like, it is important to still drive home, even though LSU impressed us. They are still completely depleted. Like, we have to drive that home. They are without. They are on their like five, six, and seven receivers. They are on their like. I mean, I don't know if Singley's going to play, but they are depleted on defense. Like. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a genuine toss-up, but I'll pick Ole Miss. There you go. That is the Hold That Podcast 
podcast. Remember, take advantage of the great deals that you heard at the beginning of the podcast. And uh, buy your meats at Bear Specialty Meats in the Bocas location. Um, all right, Brody, anything else on the way out? I think that's all, man. We went pretty long. All right, everybody have an excellent day. This is the Hold That Podcast podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And we will see you again next Monday. See you then. Thank you.